All right, John chapter 14, we'll be there this morning, continuing on our study of through the gospel of John. And so uh, I'm going to start reading, if you're following along, about 19 down to 26, 19 to 26. And so if you want to follow along as I read John chapter 14, verse 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. But he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not of mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. May the Lord have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for those who have been able to come out this morning. I pray that you bless them for being here. I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, speak through me. May your word be preeminent. Lord, I pray that you just bless your word as we look once again reminded of the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. We're thankful, Lord, that he is part of us and that you and the Heavenly Father, Jesus, would be willing to, to dwell with us and live in us in the person of the Spirit. May we rejoice in what you have done for us and bless our time together. Forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and please fill me with your spirit even today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Two, two brief points, not brief points, but simply two points. First of all, is the speaking about a concern, and secondly, is there the sending of the comforter? Verse 22, we find then that James, or Judas, sorry, Judas says unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us? And not unto the world. Now, if you remember, think back in this very chapter, back over in chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Philip says in 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Judas says, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? These verses could have been like a little bit of a wet blanket, if you would, upon the Lord's ministry because he has spent so much time with these disciples, and yet they're asking questions that perhaps they should have, had they been in tune with what he was actually going to do, they would have known ahead of time. So there is, first of all, speaking about the concern, there is the wonder. And I thought the wonder, can you imagine now, you're, you're on earth and you ask a question, of God himself, Lord, how is it? Can you imagine talking to God? And right there with you, Lord, how is it this? What an amazing privilege. And yet, do we not have that privilege when we pray through the ministry of the Spirit to God even this morning as we pray for all these requests that he would answer and see as he would answer as he would see fit? Interesting now, John, looking back about 95 A.D., approximately, he writes his gospel, looks back and says, now this is not Iscariot. So this Judas was not Judas Iscariot. I like what commentator Alford said. The words not Iscariot are in reality superfluous or unneeded because in John 13, verse 30, if you look back one chapter, 1330, regarding the Judas Iscariot, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And it was night. 
So Judas Iscariot has already gone and left the group. Now there's 11. So this Judas, not Iscariot, asks the question, was he a low man on the apostolic totem pole? Well, possibly. He's always mentioned in the last of the four groups. If you look at the, the, the three or the four together, he's always in the last of those groups. Alexander McLaren believes that the apostles are listed by their spiritual acumen or the nearness to the master. Judas Iscariot always appears in the last group and always the last one. Because And that's fitting, I believe. Yet this Judas we know very little about. And yet, if we pause for just a moment, he is one of the twelve disciples. He walked with talk with God for three and a half years, approximately. And so I imagine, though, that there was some chagrin. His, remember, his name was Judas, because, uh, but this, John makes clear, listen, it's not the traitor, not the traitor. So he asked, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now remember, their mindset is Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom, and we want a spot. Matter of fact, it was James and John's mother. Well, when you come and set up your kingdom, can one be on the right and, and one be on the left? Because we want places of prominence. And so they're waiting for him to come back to set up his kingdom. By the way, we are waiting yet for him to come back for the church. And then one day he'll set up his thousand-year reign, after that, he will set up his eternal reign. So we are anticipating his ruling and reigning again. They were specifically waiting for him to come back. They didn't anticipate it being 2,000 years. We have the privilege of knowing about the church age. So we know that there have been 2,000 years nearly, or I guess it has been now since he passed. Christ was killed almost 2,000 years. And so we find that we have this church history. They did not understand that. So Judas is assuming that Jesus was speaking of returning physically to establish the kingdom. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, a few pages over, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, this was their mindset, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That was what they want to know, is, is Israel going to, they blew it, they, they did not receive him as the king, are you going to restore it now, the kingdom to Israel? No, they're not, they're going to reject him, matter of fact, they're going to crucify him. They could not understand how he could be seen of the disciples, and yet the world not see him, if he is the king and ruling as the king. He's the savior of the world. The good news of forgiveness, by the way, you can, you can talk to people about the Lord this week and the good news of forgiveness is for, is for them too. And, and the salvation, he, came to, to, he died, died for the world that they might be saved. So he's wondering, how's he not going to make himself known to everyone? So it's just been a few days, the triumphant entry. Now remember, we're between the triumphant entry and the crucifixion. This is that, that, wind, that one week window there. So, wow, we've had the triumphant entry. If he'll just keep dazzling them with shows and, and miracles, perhaps the Sanhedrin, and everybody will see that he's the Messiah, and he can go right into the earthly kingdom, perhaps. I imagine that was a lot of their thought. I think it's what J Judas Iscariot was planning on, and then he found out, we you know, the Lord's going to die. This is not what I have envisioned. I envisioned a place of authority. A place of, I might even be the, the Secretary of State since I've been carrying the bag. And so I want a, 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 big, a big place. And so it's not happening. Judas was disenchanted, for sure. 
Well, these, these questions, these contexts, we find that Jesus had been patient, as was patient, and always is answering. He's also patient here with Judas, not Iscariot, and is answering. See, it would be some time later, after Pentecost, then there's going to be the Holy Spirit is going to help them to understand all that Jesus has been teaching them. Enlightenment would come. Thomas Constable said Judas wanted to know what Jesus meant when he said that there was not going to be disclose himself publicly, but just privately to the eleven. He and his fellow disciples failed to realize that Jesus would reveal himself to them privately after the resurrection, and then publicly when he does come to rule and to reign. I saw a prophetic idea there. Israel says no as a nation, and so the times of the Gentiles continues on until the rapture of the church. Speaking about concern, there's the wonder, and then there's the witness in 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and, and we will come into him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He explains that the first, he will not going to reveal himself to those who refuse to love and obey. If a man love me, he will keep my words. Truly, if you're a child of God, you're going to obey what God has told us to do and to say. It is. And Jesus says in 23, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That should stagger us. That God the Father and Jesus are going to come and to abide in those who love him in the person of the Holy Spirit. Think what that means, living alongside us, living with us, living where we live, are the two most powerful, loving, wise persons in all the universe. They control the factors in a matter of time, space, universe. They understand, we understand that they're controlling all things by the word of their power, and yet the angels are ceaselessly adoring and praising them, and yet they want to have a part of your life, Christian. And they are, as you, when you receive Christ as Savior, the Spirit comes in, and the Father comes in, and the Son comes in, and the person of the Spirit, because they're working seamlessly together, and you have them abiding with us. We should quote Isaiah, woe is us, woe is me. But the Father and the Son deign to live in us. So when you think about that, those things that you're wanting to do, you just got a questionable, you're going to say, huh, I don't think I'm doing that because I'm taking God with me. And you are. If you think about that, before you take that, do that, say that, watch that, the Spirit's watching everything you do. We will come into him in 23 and make our abode. No room for doubt. A determined decision of the Father and the Son, sort of kind of like, if you would, with the creating of an angelic hierarchy, sort of kind of like the creating of hundreds of millions of galaxies, and to stoop down and fashion Adam's clay. We will do that. We will come into those who receive Christ and love Him. We will. They say what they mean, and they mean what they say. No power in heaven or earth or even hell can prevent them from doing what they've determined to do. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. And that implies some kind of a move, does it not? Now, think, put your thinking cap on for just a moment. Granted, now God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. He's, he's all the galaxies. He's all the way out there. And he's right here with us. He's omnipresent. At the same time, though, God sometimes accommodates himself to our space, matter, time way of living from time to time. 
yet it does not alter his omnipresence. For example, Old Testament, Moses saw him in the burning bush. Chapter 3 it was of Exodus. In the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory came down. The Hebrew people saw the, the fire by night and the cloud by day. There was also, he says, that when the Holy of Holies, when, he, when the cherubims, he was the holy place. That he, was, he was part of that, came down. New Testament. Why, he came and was born in a, a sheep birthing stall at Migdalator, just outside of Bethlehem. He came very, but he still was omnipresent, yet he tabernacled or accommodated us in our time for a moment here. Imagine living every moment, every day in the company of Jesus and the Father. Can you imagine you're walking through God, the Father, respectfully, on one side and Jesus on the other, and you're walking through your day, and they're with you, beside you. Don't you if they were actually, you could see them, wouldn't that change the way you live your life tomorrow? It would. Yet, I'm telling you, the Bible says they are in the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Because the Comforter is going to be sent here in just a moment. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. With whom? With the person who loves Jesus. Clearly, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Clearly, if you love Christ, he does not care so much about the princes and presidents and rich and famous and learned and great. He's drawn irresistibly, though, to those little boys and girls and men and women who trust him as personal savior and declare their love for him. Mrs. Kazee was just telling me that she and Connor and Bradley talk all the time about Jesus. I said, keep it up. God, just keep up and talk about what this, et cetera, et cetera. Just talk about Jesus and help them to understand. And said, as soon as they truly understand the gospel, then hopefully they will receive him and receive him as Savior. And they, want to, they already want to be baptized. And so we just weren't quite ready for that. And so I want, them to, I'm not gonna, I want to know for sure the child can clearly understand the gospel so they understand it before we do that. And so they were fine, but he wants to know. That's great. I said, keep on, keep on that, keep on telling about Christ. So that's what draws Christ's attention. Those who love Him, He's going to take up His bow with those who love Him, and by doing so, we are now the aristocracy of the universe. We are. We are. We will come unto Him and make our abode with Him. The word for abode now is back in fourteen, verse two. In my Father's house are many mansions. Only two places found in the New Testament, abode. Same word there. So God gladly vacates the mansions, the abode of his heavenly home, to come down, his ivory palaces, and come down through time and space and to reach us and take up a dwelling with us and convert our little cottage. Tender cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Someone wrote those words, a child of the king. We are a child of the king. And he's dwelling with us. And we become the mansions, the abode of God. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God. And you are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his, or God's. That's what we're to do. We are his temple. He abides with us. Now revealed that he and his father would make their home singular in the believing disciples on earth. If a man loves me. Again, those, the word abode is the word mansions. We will make our mansion with him. God is, be, is willing to become the mansion of our soul, if you would, for the believers. 
are the abode of Christ. One poetic commentator said it this way, as he steals with noiseless tread into the loving, believing heart, I hear him say, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Another one says, salvation means we're going to heaven, but submission means that heaven comes to us. The, the truth is illustrated in, the, in Abraham and Lot. In chapter 18, we find that Christ and the two, or God, the theophany and the two angels visit Abraham and they feel welcome. They have a meal together. But when chapter 19 comes, he doesn't go down into Sodom. He sends the two angels. God does not go down into that place of ill repute, if you would. Spurgeon says, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Your heart can become a heaven on earth as you commune with the Lord and worship Him. So this is an important concept here. The Lord's answer, Judas, not Iscariot, asked the question, but there is also a contrast. So there's the wonder and the witness, and there are the words. By the way, I was thinking of a comparison, why he adds not Iscariot. It sort of said like, well, Pastor Tim... I believe that you and Benny Hinn are just about on the same level and you would be, and I, I'm going to call you Benny right now. And I'd be like, uh, uh, let's just hold on right here. Let's make a clear distinction. Judas, not Iscariot. So we're just getting that clear. There is no comparison. John wants you to know this Judas and Judas Iscariot. The witness, the words. 23, again. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come into him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But remember, not for much longer is he going to be present. So the contrast is between a Christ-rejecting world and a God-revealing word. Rejection. Revealing, receiving. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. It's the reverse side of the coin. He that loves me, we will come and make our abode with him. He that loves me not, doesn't keep my sayings. It's very clear. Read First John if you're waffling on what it means to follow Christ in obedience. He's very, John's very clear. If there's no love, no obedience, love is the, is the only power that can draw a person to keep the Lord's commands. They are to, they're foreign to a fallen human race that does not know God. Loving, what does that mean? What God? They don't understand that. He will keep my word. Now, by the way, the word there is more than a commandment, is it not? The word of Christ is more, even more than just precepts, includes his sayings. It includes them all. One vital, organic, Unity. Everything Christ says. One person, I think it's Mrs. Stevens, told me once, as you read a book, you, 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 chew, you chew the meat and spit out the bones. And there's no, you're not going to agree with every single thing. You're not going to agree with every single thing in this book right here. Although it's a good book, you won't agree with everything. However, when it comes to this, there's no bones. It's, it's all meat. So we, we chew it all. So you can't pick and choose. In the beginning, God created and, and, and six days the Lord made the heaven and earth. That is so abundantly clear. Why, not, why have Christians struggled and continue to struggle with that? Because they are, I believe, under a worldly little bit of ideology. Why can't we just simply believe it for what it says? I was listening to, I was listening to, a, I was listening to a podcast on theological predeterminism. 
and they were getting pretty deep. But one thing they said was this. It says, if a doctrine is so clearly taught in Scripture, why does there have to be volumes upon volumes of explanation of how they got to that point? Listen, if it's, it's, God did not, he's not the author of confusion. He wrote this that we might understand, you can't understand everything, but you can understand the gospel. You can. And by the way, it's not, it's the Holy Spirit that takes the heart and convicts. The only way you understand the Bible today, and you'll find out in just a few minutes, is because we have the instructor living in us in the person of the Spirit. But there's enough. The Holy Spirit can convict the normal knowledge person that, wow, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thomas Costable again says, some believers love Jesus more than other believers do. This results in some believers obeying him more than others and enjoying a more intimate relationship and greater understanding of him than others enjoy. The way to become a great lover of Jesus is by learning to appreciate the greatness of his love for us, end quote. If you just think for just a moment how much he loves us. Disobedience robs the soul of the sweet sense of Christ indwelling, another has said. Nothing can compensate for failure to obey. Whatever the protestations, there is no real love to Christ where his commands are knowingly disregarded and set at naught. But each time we dare to step out in simple obedience to his will, it seems as though the inner light shines deeper down in the hidden places of our being and the residence of Christ extends to new chambers of our heart. What he's saying is, you're going to show what team you're on by how you're living. By how you're, if, you're not, if you're not obeying Christ's word, how can you say, his, you're his disciples? Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why is that? The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's. Therefore, not to do what Jesus says, you're not doing what the Father says. That rules out all false religions, Christ-rejecting religions, even though they're powerful, ancient, philosophically attractive, numerically vast. If they have no room for Christ as God, they're false. And But there's only but one Christianity. One commentator said, no one who rejects the Lord Jesus can truly know, love, honor God because the Father loves the Son. It only makes sense. The Father loves the Son. The only way you're going to be in relationship with them is to love the Son as well. So any religion person who rejects Jesus as God, you're on the wrong path because God loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Matter of fact, Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. The Lord had revealed many remarkable things unto these men, but that was evident from the nature of their questions. They were not grasping them thoroughly. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell them all at Pentecost. We understand that and start teaching them what Christ has said. But right now there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions. 
And I was listening to that podcast. They started getting into a lot of things. I said, I told Stephanie, I said, now, it just got a little bit over my head there when he started getting some of these things. Or just a little bit. I said, these men have these brains that think about these philosophical religious questions. I, I, I'm struggling to follow Molinism and pre- you know, all these different things, learning about, oh, I aren't you glad the Bible's simple? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now there are places and there is need for that. Theological questions are sort of like the light switch. We use the theological questions to help us turn on what God has taught us. So it is important to understand theological issues. Matter of fact, that's why we're meeting here together in this church. Because we believe in what the Bible has said about theology, about Christ being God, about him dying for us. And so we're in agreement on those things. And so that's why we are worshiping together. So that was the speaking about a concern, and then we followed up by the sending of the Comforter in 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Interesting, uh, Leon Morris says that the characteristic designation found throughout the New Testament does not draw attention to the power of the Spirit, his greatness, or the like. For the first Christians, the important thing was that he was the Holy Spirit. And so that helps set him aside, by the way. We have, oh, well, the Spirit's here, Spirit's there. We have this, the forces with you, the, the yin-yang, the good side of it. No, this is a real person, and he's gone. So first of all, we see for jotting down notes in his person. In 16 now, look back to 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. He promised his disciples that when he went to, to the Father, he would ask the Father to send the comforter. The title means paraclete, one who comes alongside of another to offer aid and comfort. It carries back to the idea of an advocate or someone who, a lawyer perhaps, and the Greek, again, one called to stand alongside. The comforter is the counselor. He comes along. We get our word counselor. He, oh, counselor, are you going to help your, 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 your client? Yes, I'm going to help. And he's there to help us. That's what he is. Stands up for us. Lead us, guide us, empower us. By the way, he's not a ghost. The Holman Bible Dictionary notes that the word spirit is a translation of the Hebrew ruach, uh, Roark, I can't, Ruark, anyway, R-A-U-C-H, I'm terrible with Hebrew and Greek as well. And the Greek, and Greek word is pneuma, translated wind, breath, or spirit, depending on the context. Believe it or not, you know, I wasn't around in 1888 when they developed pneumatic tires. The tires were there. As a matter of fact, the person's name was John Boyd Dunlop, inventor of, developer of the pneumatic tire. I have them on my car in Yukon, et cetera, but I, I don't understand how it all works necessarily. You might have got a pneumonia shot already this year to help with your lungs, your breathing. You might have a pneumatic air compressor that blows, you know, that you, I have a pneumatic drill, uh, what is it called, drill thing? Not a drill, but a, put your tires on with, takes off, whatever that's called. What's it called? Impact, thank you. I have, I have one of those to put on the air hose in case I can't get my blade off the lawnmower. There we go. I'm not going to do that again. You don't have to worry. All this, the Holy Spirit's essential to us, like the air, the wind, and the breath, the living Spirit of God. If you're going to heaven, you must have the Spirit. It's very simple. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If you've trusted Christ, He is indwelling you. That's how Jesus Christ liveth in me. By the person of the Spirit, because they are one they work so seamlessly together, the Trinity. His personality. 
Another of the same kind, alos. Remember we talked about that in another gospel. There's, a, there's a one that's not the same, but there's one that's exactly the same. This is it. Another, another comforter. Christ is the comforter while you're on earth. I'm going to send one just like me. The comforter, God himself and the person of the Spirit. His ability in John 14, 17, look at his ability. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it receiveth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He had lived among these men for over three years. Now, even though he's gone away, he's still going to be able to abide with them in the person of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, the Lord will not just abide with them, but he shall abide in them. Do you see the difference now? Old Testament time, even this early New Testament time, the Spirit did not indwell like he does today. He came on people for certain events, yes, but now he indwells us. We are so privileged. Now, anybody or version or translation implies that one must come to know Christ and then through some kind of second blessing the Spirit comes. That's not really biblical. When you receive Christ... You were baptized into the body of believers when you asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, forgive you of your sin through repentance and faith. Now, that's indwelling, filling. Yes, you need to be filled with the Spirit today. That's, he has all of you and you're living for Him and, and you're, you have your sins confessed. That's the everyday occurrence. Indwelling happens once when you receive Christ. Now, other things to keep in mind, he is not captured through some magical formula. His primary ministry is not ecstatic utterance or experience. He will not be used to deceive others. He, you will not determine his gifts to you. He does not come through praying through. He is a real person and not some intangible force. That is the Spirit of God. The person, his permanence, verse 16, that he may dwell with you forever. I was thinking about this somehow. I was asked recently, will the Spirit, Holy Spirit be with us even in heaven? I think, yes. He will dwell, what does the Bible say? That he may abide with you forever. Whether we, and by the way, would not you want him indwelling you in heaven so you can learn more and more and more about our wonderful Savior? Yes, I say yes to that, absolutely. His purpose in 17, even the Spirit of truth when the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Remember, it's coming. Pentecost is coming. I tell you now, though, on this side of Calvary, when you receive Christ, he comes to indwell us and to be with us. But the Comforter, 26, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. The Spirit's purpose in the believer's manifold, or if you remember, a manifold, I think, is sort of like even a fan has many folds. The Spirit's purpose in the believer is many folds, manifold, many, I first like to indwell. In 17, he comes to indwell. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. We are, he travels wherever we go. Think about that truth. God is with us everywhere we go. Not only that, to invest in 2021. 20, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them is he is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. To invest with ability to serve. He fills with the power to labor, to serve the Lord. Without him, we could not accomplish anything for the glory of God. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and he does that through the person of the Spirit to instruct Teach us all things whatsoever I've commanded you, etc. The purpose of the Spirit is to instruct us in the things of God. I'm reading a book, which, by the way, we may do one or two more psalms, and then we're going to Job. I can very much tell you we're going to Job. 
I've been reading an outstanding, maybe a dissertation on Job. I've been so challenged. I tell my wife, this book is amazing. And so it just helps the scriptures just to pop right out. And so we're going to look at Job here, maybe even starting Wednesday. I'm not sure how the Lord leads. But the Spirit is what teaches us through His, His Word. He's the teacher, the divine teacher. John Philip says the Holy Spirit not only interpreted to these disciples the things that Jesus had said, which at the time were very much over their heads, but he revealed to them new aspects of truth, which were only found, he says, in the germ form in the Lord's teaching. And by the way, he did not teach some new doctrine. The Holy Spirit expanded on what Jesus had already taught. The Spirit will not dispense with the teachings of Jesus. The teaching to be recalled is his, Jesus' teaching. Not only to indwell, to invest, instruct, and finally to inspire. He is the encourager. He's the encourager. When we become discouraged, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and we read his book. And I will often sign if someone's, I just sent Keith yesterday, Psalm 62, verse, uh, 61, verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that verse, man, that just that rings just like, it's a bing, just like ministers to And that's what he does. The Spirit takes the Word of God to our hearts and encourages us by that. I told Mrs. Kazee yesterday, I type, keep on keeping on. Keep on, and that's it. The Spirit says, don't give up, Tim. Don't give up, church. Keep on keeping on. I'm coming back. And he will reward us and he will be with us and never leave us or forsake us. And it's not about us. It's about God. And the Spirit is about glorifying the Son, who the Son then follows and obedient to the Father, and they work in perfect harmony. You and I need to be grateful for the Spirit. So speaking about a concern, how's this all going to happen? Well, well, Judas, not a scare. It, it will happen in time, and you'll see. If you just hang in there, you'll learn more later. And sending of the Comforter, aren't you glad he came? Forever. The Spirit is going to indwell us as his children forever. May we be encouraged and may we be reminded this week that we are going with the Spirit and that the Father and the Son would come and make their abode, their mansion with us. We are the aristocracy. Regardless of what they say in England, we are the aristocracy of the universe as his children. Let's pray. Lord, we're just thankful this morning that you do love us and you loved us so much that you sent the Holy Spirit to each individual as we receive you as Savior, the Spirit comes in to encourage, to inspire, to instruct, to, to teach us to love you more, to teach us your word. Lord, may we as your children this week share this wonderful truth about your goodness to us, share the gospel as you give us opportunity. Lord, if there be even one person listening yet today that does not know his personal Savior, I pray that they would truly turn over their hearts and lives to you today. May we as your children, may we be about your business. Lord, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. May we not be on the sideline. May we be active in the battle. And ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.